Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Tom Harris Live, and this is Tom Harris speaking to you from a very spring day e Chicago, Illinois. And it, it's damp, and there are flowers coming up everywhere. It's absolutely beautiful out there. It's a bit rainy, though, but it is typical springtime weather here. Beautiful day, really. And uh, and I, I'm shocked. I'm I'm shocked and horrified <laughs> um, that uh, that Chris is going to stop doing his show for now. Well, that, that's uh, kind of a shame, or uh, isn't it? Um, but uh, you know, I do understand. I, I really, really do understand that there are. It's, when I stopped doing my podcast, it was kind of the same thing. You know, it's like, well, maybe I'll come back at some point. Maybe I won't come back at some point. And I've done a couple of shows since I officially stopped doing the podcast. But, you know, it, it just kind of reached the end of its shelf life, I think. And, and maybe that's what Chris is thinking now. Anyway, I don't want to go on about that, uh, even though I am. You no, know, it's, it's sad, you know, because cause Chris really um, is the one who got me started in podcasting to begin with. Um, from, you know, listening to uh, United Kingdom Talk on uh, Live 365. And then, you know, following him through the years all the way to now, you know. And so anyway, um, anyway, I don't want to talk about that <laughs> because I have so much other stuff to talk uh, about on this show today. Now, um, I do have a couple of things uh, right off the bat. Next week will be my first anniversary show here at United Kingdom Radio. Amazingly enough, um, the live show has now actually been going for an entire year. I've only missed uh, a couple of weeks in that in that year, a time when I was actually not in town, and then I had I think I had a show or two that you know the, the technical aspects of it were were not uh, possible for me to continue doing the show that day. You know, so uh, there were a couple of weeks that I missed, but it'll be a year next week, and I have a very big announcement next week to make and no i'm not stopping the show but i do have something new coming along and i've been hinting about it for a year probably next week is going to be the official announcement of my new podcast project so don't miss that it's going to be next week i'm already working on it um i have the domain you know i have some material for the show i have the new theme i have all this stuff um, having some some co-host issues. <laughs> I know I talked about that before. That the the co-host that I have for the show is not readily available uh, during during the warmer part, parts of the year, and uh, so I'm just going to carry on without. And he you know is, he knows that he's welcome to uh, you know to do the show when he can, but for the most part, it's just going to be me. And the big announcement's going to be next week. You'll get all the details. Most of you won't probably care, to be honest with you. But um, I am looking forward to it now. And, and it is kind of ongoing, and it's kind of revved up now. So uh, that's next week, my one-year anniversary show, and a big announcement next week about my new project. And uh, that'll be all very exciting. Now, if you want to Skype into the show, uh, you can. The Skype address here is United Kingdom Radio. And uh, you can email me if you want to email at tom at unitedkingdomradio.co.uk. I have several emails today, which is a wealth of, of riches, an embarrassing wealth of riches, but I will be getting to all of them today. And uh, we're going to talk a bit about uh, some other stuff as well. So um, that is going to be 
coming up a little bit late. I'm just kind of looking through the uh, Skype messages because they have Skype messages coming in uh, for Chris. So uh, just uh, as, as always happens, um, get, getting a few um, uh, say hello to uh, to Bob. I don't know who's out there, and also to uh, to Merlin. Uh, yeah, I'm getting getting all your messages that you send to Chris. So. <laughs> I don't mean to, to eavesdrop. I really don't. Um, so anyway, uh, that that is going to be next week and going to be um, exciting for me and, and hopefully for you too. Now, this is a big weekend anyway because this is the weekend where I start moving. Yes, uh, I have to go tomorrow. I have to go tomorrow to get the apartment key to my new apartment, um, which is about a block and a half, two blocks away from here. It's actually it's a block north and two blocks west of where I am right now, and uh, not not too far. It, it's it's a it's a walk, but it's not that much of a walk. And I, I do believe that I'm going to be carrying a lot of stuff over there, just kind of going back and forth, and that'll kind of be my exercise for you know uh, for this whole process. Now I have two weeks to move, which is kind of unheard of. Um, you know, and I, I initially thought, okay, well, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to paint, make, make the walls some color other than white. And uh, then as I've thought about it, it's like, well, why bother? You know, what, why do I want to do that, really? Um, because it's not, it doesn't make, it doesn't really make any sense to it. Yeah. So, um, you know, who knows you know, what, what I might end up doing later. But for the moment, I'm just going to leave the walls as they are. Uh, but I do need to go over there and, you know, get stuff like the internet hooked up, get the phone hooked up. I may end up doing, uh, the show from here next week as well, because the, yeah, I know I said last week that next week would be the first show that I'd be doing from the new apartment. But I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to get the uh, the internet hooked up and get things situated before next week's show. So I think next week I'll probably be broadcasting from here. Now I know that the other question that um, that people are asking is, do I still have a job? And then that's the question that I keep asking, having to ask myself every single day. Um, for the moment, yes. Um, and I know that they've been dragging this out like like all get out, but. Yeah, you know, the more paychecks I get, the better. So that that's going to be uh, uh, still ongoing. It does leave me less time to move, though, and uh, that is going to mean that once I get the key tomorrow, I need to start moving stuff over there almost immediately. Uh, because I've got, you know, I'm going to be making multiple trips over to the new place tomorrow, uh, trying to get as much stuff over there tomorrow as I have. Hopefully, Pete will be able to come and help me um, try to get everything moved over in a week and that'll probably be everything except for the bed and the bigger furniture and the computer and that and then after the show next saturday maybe get the rest of that over there so we'll we'll see um hopefully that won't be too much of an issue uh so that that's what's kind of what's going on and as i said i, I was out today earlier um before well i, I got up early today for Saturday, for, for, for Saturday was definitely early because I have to be up. It's 10 a.m. here, actually about 10.08 a.m. here in Chicago, which would be about 4.08 p.m. over in the U.K. And if you're listening at that time over in the U.K., then you are listening to the show live. And if you're not, then you're listening to a podcast. But you probably know that because you had to download the podcast to begin with. Anyway, it, um, so I went out this morning and kind of, 
did my first little walk over to the new place. Um, I was actually not going over to the new place. That wasn't my destination, but I just wanted to see how much, how long it would take for me to walk over there. It's about a five to eight minute walk, depending on if I have to wait for, for a traffic signal or, or anything like that. Um, so it's not very far. And I wasn't, of course, carrying anything with me. And I went over to the new uh, not new, I'm sorry, the, the, the good coffee shop. You know, the, the coffee shop that, that has better coffee, Charmer's Cafe. Charmer's Cafe, located at the corner of Greenview and Jarvis for all your coffee needs. Yeah, they're not sponsoring the show, so. <laughs> anyway, um, so I went over there and, and I, I got my coffee, and that's where I was for the beginning of, of Chris's show, um, and uh, took a nice walk back. And I, I took my umbrella with me because it's been raining, and it rained yesterday for for quite a bit of the day, and it rained all night, and it rained. It's kind of kind of spitting down rain this morning. Not a lot of rain, but enough to uh, you know to make everything wet. And uh, so anyway, that that's uh, kind of the the typical springtime weather, and that means it's probably raining in Bristol today as well because I have an email here from uh, our good friend Mark in Bristol, and Mark has this to say: uh, Hi, Tom. Just a quickie to say that I am still enjoying your shows and enjoyed the Germany trip, as I did the Nordland one with you hiking. Sorry I haven't been listening live, but your podcasts are appreciated. Hope your move to the new apartment goes well. You get your time out and you find a new job. All the best to you and Pete, Mark, and Steve. P.S. Bristol must be twinned with your place, because every time you mention the weather where you are, it's the same in Bristol. <laughs> well, you know, that actually got me thinking. Um about uh, Chicago's sister cities, because yeah, I knew that Chicago has a bunch. Chicago has a bunch of sister cities, and the um, yeah, I think the the, the first one we've had uh, since the nineteen sixties, and over the years we've actually accumulated a lot of them, and um, I, I, I'm not sure exactly how many. I'm, I'm, I'm counting them now. I have a list here. Uh, and I'll read them off in a second. Twenty-six sister cities that we have, and um, the first one um, was in 1960 with Warsaw, Poland, which is kind of ironic because you know uh, we actually have more Polish people living here in Chicago than there are in Warsaw. So, so it is interesting. Um, so, anyway, the sister cities of uh, of uh, Chicago are are these. And I'm going to give you the name of the city and then the year that it became a sister city. And I, and I didn't want to organize it by, by date because I'm just lazy that way. You know how that goes. <laughs> but I thought it was really, really interesting. Um, so the sister cities of Chicago are Accra, Ghana, which became a sister city in 1989, Amman, Jordan, 2004, Athens, Greece, 1997, Belgrade, Serbia, 2005, Birmingham, England, 1993, not Bristol, unfortunately, Busan, Republic of Korea, in 2007, Casablanca, Morocco, 1982, Delhi, India, 2001, Durban, South Africa, 1997, Galway, Ireland, 1997, that's not, that's not a surprise at all, we have so many Irish people here. 
uh, Gothenburg Suite. I hate calling it Gothenburg. I really do. Or Gothenburg. I, I hate that. It, it's, it's pronounced Jutteborg. Jutteborg. Jutteborg, Sweden, became our sister city in 1987. Hamburg, Germany in 1994, Kiev, Ukraine in 1991, Lahore, Pakistan in 2007, Lucerne, Switzerland in 1998, Mexico City, Mexico in 1991, Milan, Italy in 1973, Moscow, Russia in 1997, Osaka, Japan in 1973, Paris, France 1996, Petla, Petash Tikva, Israel in 1994, Prague, Czech Republic in 1990, Shanghai and Shenyang, China in 1985, Toronto, Canada in 1991, Vilnius, Lithuania in 1993, and Warsaw, Poland in 1960. Those are the sister cities of Chicago. Quite a lot of them, when you really think about it. That's, it's, uh, you know, and I don't really know why. I don't, I don't know the procedure. You know, how do you decide what the sister cities are going to be? What what the um, uh, how how do they decide that? I don't know. I mean, did, I'm, I'm sure it's it's purely symbolic, but I know that in the case of you know of uh, you know Galway or, or Warsaw, it's a reflection of of how many how many people we have living here who are of you know of of uh, Polish descent or of, of Irish descent, and I think you could probably go for you know. Um, uh, for for Indian and Pakistan as well, because we do have one of the largest um, Indian and Pakistani populations outside of India and Pakistan. Maybe not as big as as London or or uh, Birmingham in the UK, but um, but certainly we have we have a lot for the US. It's one of the larger communities in the US. So I can understand that, but I can't imagine that we have a lot of Moroccans living here. <laughs> so who knows, you know? Um, but it is interesting. And uh, anyway, uh, that that's uh, that's the sister cities thing. I thought that was very interesting. Suko actually talked about that on her show, um, and it'd be interesting to uh, to hear all of the sister cities that uh, that New York has, um, because they I'm sure they have a bunch like we do. Anyway, uh, moving on, uh, going to go on to uh, more email here. I had. I have a wealth of riches. I have, wealth of, <laughs> I have three emails here from James. Uh, James Bates, uh, who, who is a regular contributor to the show. And he sent me three, and I'm just going to break it. I'm going to kind of lump them together um, because uh, it's just a lot of work to, to kind of do each one separately. But, well, how much work can it be? <laughs> but we do love email, and uh, for those of you who, uh, you know, who are listening, I do love hearing from the people who listen to the show. And it's very, very important that we do get emails on these programs because that is uh, a really big part of what, um, you know, it gives, us, it gives us stuff to talk about. It gives us you know, feedback to know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. And, and we, quite frankly, don't get a lot of feedback. So anyway, um, uh, before, I do, before I do James's three emails, I'm going to do, uh, I had a quick note, and uh, this is from my uh, friend Paul Adler. Now, Paul lives in Cleveland, Ohio. Paul is somebody who I went to grade school with. Though, to be honest, I hardly remember him from grade school. <laughs> I, rec- I, I remember him more from being an adult now, uh, from, from email, than, than I do from uh, grade school. But um, I, I was talking about the, my job issues on previous shows, and, and Paul listened to the last show, I think, um, 
And he said, Tom, you can always move back to Cleveland. I'm sure you could find work here. Hope all is well from Paul, Paul and Karen Adler. So, uh, um, you know, that, that is something that I have thought about in the past, Paul, if you're listening to the show, which I hope you are, is that I, I, would, I have not put moving back to Cleveland out of the question completely because I still think of Cleveland as my hometown. That is where I was born and raised. And, you know, I do consider that, um, uh, uh, you know, I was born and raised in Cleveland. And I do think of it as being my hometown. And I do have a very soft spot for it. Now, I have heard, you know, from from a lot of people that Ohio is not really the place to be right now if you're looking for work. And we'll see what happens. Now, of course, I'm committed to Chicago for another year. Uh, because I just signed a lease, so I don't know. So, But it's possible. You never know. have a, a message coming in on Skype here from Oscar. Hello, Oscar. It's been a while since we've heard from you. Um, you're going to love uh, when I do Today in History here in a few minutes. Um, anyway, Oscar, uh, where have you been? Where have you been? We missed you. Uh, he says, hello, Tom Harris. Are you moving out of your apartment because the Muslims are coming to take it over? The Muslims are coming to take over everything, you know. <laughs> um no. <laughs> well, you know, it, people have asked me, you know, well, why are you moving? I've been I've been 10 years in this apartment. And I moved into this the apartment where I am sitting right now doing the show. Um I moved into this apartment in 2001. It was actually June of 2001. And I've been here for 10 years. It's time for a change and uh moving to a bigger place. Pete is going to be moving in with me. Um and it's going to just kind of overall work out, I think, better. And the, you know, the, what, what happens with here in, in Chicago, and I don't know if it works this way in other places or not. But, you know, I live in a, in a part of town which is a fairly low rent area. This is one of the, it's not exactly a ghetto, but it has its dodgy bits, you know, that there are, we do still have some gangs on the streets. I've noticed that there's, they, it didn't last this year. It started to uh, kind of tapered off a little bit. And I think that, uh, you know, the Chicago Police Department has been uh, cracking down a little bit more that, than they had been. Um, so I'm not seeing as many gang members kind of openly around. They're probably still here, but they're not being open about it. But um, so I wouldn't call it a, a dangerous neighborhood per se. It's as dangerous as any urban neighborhood is. You know, so obviously you want it's not safe. In the sense of um, you know, small town in the middle of of Massachusetts type safe, you know it, it's more it's more safe in the sense of any big city. But and we have of course the problems of any big city as well. Yeah, we have the the problems with littering and the problems with the gangs and problems with the corrupt politicians. We we have a lot of those same kind of issues here in Chicago. But anyway, um. Yeah, I've been in this apartment now for 10 years. And the way it tends to work in, in Chicago, and I've kind of been fighting it over the last few years, is that landlords feel obliged to raise your rent every single year by a little bit, just a little bit. It could be $10 a month, you know, a little bit, or $20 a month, a little bit, or $50 a month, a little bit. And you know, generally, you sign a one-year lease. So at the end of that, they say, "Okay, well, you are paying you know six hundred a month now. That we want you to pay six fifty a month." But what eventually happens is the the rent becomes inflated 
over what you could be paying for the same or similar apartment elsewhere. And because I've been here for so long, I've actually been, I, I push back every year. Uh, whenever they send me a new lease that has an increase on it, I, I kind of call them and say, look, you know, I really can't afford to pay more. You know, if you could just keep it the same. They can't lower your rent to actually market value, but they can sometimes be persuaded to keep your rent the same. So that is um, uh, kind of where I'm finding myself in, in this apartment here where I am now. I'm paying more than this apartment is worth and have been for a couple of years. So I've decided to move and I've, I've kind of done kind of this half-assed moving, looking around for, for a new place every year. And this year, you know, I was, I was more motivated. I was more motivated to actually go out and and find something better. So I started looking early this year. I started looking in February. And at the end of February, I found this place. Now, this uh, this company that I'm dealing with now is called Rogers Park Vintage Management. And they deal in vintage buildings. These aren't the sort of soulless box with a bathroom type of apartments. These are you know, buildings that were built between 1900 and 1960. And... You know, they have a lot of the original fixtures, not maybe not fixtures, but uh, like, oh, of course, the stove in my apartment right now is, is got to be from the 60s. <laughs> it's a it's an ancient gas stove. I mean, it really is old. But um, now, for example, the new place. Now, this is a new renovation. They, they've they gutted the building. They rehabilitated it. You know, it, the layouts are different. They're not, you know, it's not just a box with a bathroom attached to it. You know, you have the kitchen in the same room as the living room. It's not like that. It's actually more like, like a real apartment. And, and I like that. I mean, I like these vintage buildings a lot more than I like the, the sort of modern ones. And there's a lot of these things around, but apparently this company now is a new landlord. They're, they just have like three buildings that they rent in. And um, talking to the people, they're very, very nice people. They seem to be really committed to preserving these buildings. And, you know, they go in and they rehabilitate them. They, you know, they uh, scour out the plumbing and they, you know, they replace the you know, old sinks and stuff. So it's not like a, like a old beat up kind of apartment but they they renovate them nicely and i was very impressed by this apartment and i am paying a little bit more than i am now but it's also a bigger apartment it's actually big enough for two people as opposed to uh just just me so that sort of um uh where i am you know and, and and it's actually a better value than what i'm paying at this apartment patrick is asking uh they they rehabilitated the flat. Did it have a previous drug problem? Well, quite possibly in this neighborhood. <laughs> um, quite possibly so. I I have no idea what these apartments were um, before now. Because right now, basically, this is a, a building that has almost all studio apartments. They have, I think that's 12 apartments on, or is it, uh, I'm sorry, eight apartments on each floor. And there's three floors. And the front six apartments, the ones that face the street, are the one-bedroom apartments. All the rest of them are studios. And I did have a look at all of the different ones. And they're, they're nice little studios, I have to say, but they're too small for me. I mean, the place I have now is a studio, but it's a big studio. 
but I don't know. Maybe this was a crack house. I have no clue. Um, so prior prior to this this renovation, I don't know. But it's certainly not now. It's, I think now it is actually uh, kind of a nice place to live. So I'm looking forward to um, looking forward to uh, uh, moving in. And like I said, the moving starts tomorrow. So excellent, isn't it? Um, I'm looking forward to it. It really has been a uh, a long term process here. Okay, so moving on, I have more email here. Now I have, like I said, three emails here from James Bates. Uh, last week I was talking about uh, uh, my computer monitor kind of went fits on me, and um, so I had to get a new computer monitor. And uh, James is saying TVs and monitors have changed such a lot, and I don't think they last as long as they used to either. And as for the widescreen, it's something you either get used to or not. Over here, they're really giving the hard sell to high-definition TVs and 3D TVs. I could get used to the high-def TVs, but I don't think 3D TVs. Glad, glad you managed to get monitor sorted out, though I guess it wouldn't be a problem getting it. I guess it would be uh, good getting it home by bus or train. Oh, okay. I guess it wouldn't be good getting it home by bus or train. Well, thankfully, like I said last week, I have the best boyfriend in the world. And uh, he was actually able to uh, to take me there and get the new monitor and bring it back. Um, yeah, well, high-def TVs are getting a huge push here, too. Um, and I'm not a TV watcher. In fact, I don't, I don't have a TV. Closest thing I have to a TV is, is my computer monitor. And when I you know, watch a movie or whatever, you know, I watch on the computer. But I was looking at those 3D TVs in, in Best Buy a few weeks ago. Well, we, we were there for some other reason. And uh, we actually took a look at what they were doing on this this 3D television. I don't think I could ever have one, at least not with the technology as as it is today, because it looked so forced. It looked really fake. It looked like um, somebody took like cardboard cutouts and and layered them, sort of you know, computer animated layering, and so it was all very flat and and unrealistic looking. And you know, of course, it has the high def thing going down, so so you know that looks good for what it is. But yeah, I was not impressed by these three D TVs, and and I'm not typically what what you call an early adopter. You know, when 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 new technologies come out, I'm not I'm not the first one to go out and get you know the new thing, whatever it is. I mean, I don't I don't have a cell phone for gosh sakes. I, I'm not exactly I'm not exactly a luddite. You know, somebody who eschews technology, but at the same time, I want the technology that I use to be tried and true. I want it to be proven, and I want you know, and I, I don't like to take chances on things. I got burned that way once. I got um, back back in college about, uh, I'd say, well, it was back in '98, so it's been a qu- quite a while now. I actually got got screwed over because there there were these. Um, a lot of new formats of, of hard drives being produced back then. And one of the things, you know, that, that kind of stuck around for a while was this thing called a zip drive. Now, the zip drive is kind of what, what the industry settled on is kind of the standard for portable storage for, for a while. I don't think it's certainly not anymore. Now you have the flash drives and all that stuff, which is way, way better. But at the time it was, it was the zip drive and you have a, like, you know, a like a portable hard disk that could hold like three gigs worth of of data or a gig worth of data, and uh, the, but Symantec came out with a uh, a competitor, 
This is when zip drives are new, and this was called the Spark Drive, S-P-A-R-Q. And uh, it was a, the discs were outrageously expensive, but they held like, you know, two gigs, like twice as much as a zip drive. And the, the disc, I think that the, the discs were like $60 a piece. A lot of money. The drive itself wasn't that bad. I think it was like $150 or something for the drive. So at the urging of a friend of mine who was an IT professional, um, I went out and I bought one of these spark drives because he loved it. I mean, he loved his spark drive. And, uh, and I used it for a while, and then it, it broke, like, really quickly. I mean, only a matter of, of weeks. And my, um, yeah, I couldn't make it work. Yeah, obviously, there's a problem with it. Now, as it turns out, these spark drives all had this problem, and it was, it was a head crash problem. And... There, there was indeed a class action suit against the company that made these, which I believe was uh, Symantec or Symantec. And they, I did actually end up getting a settlement for like $15 or something. That was outrageously uh, small settlement. And to make things worse, I had to send the drive back. Of course, the, you know, the drive didn't work. But the thing was about the, uh, the drive is that it didn't come with a disc. So you had to go out and buy discs. And you couldn't buy just one. You had to buy a three-pack. So imagine how much money they made on this. And, and they ended up, you know, for a class action suit, 15 bucks is a, is a lot. I mean, I got a, I got a class action settlement the, uh, not long ago, and it was for a uh, uh, student loan uh, problem. And, and uh, got $2.50 back. <laughs> so that's typically how these things go. Anyway, I'm going to take a uh, real quick break here. It's the bottom of the hour. And then I'll be back, and we'll finish off the uh, emails. So stay tuned. Hello, Chris Reardon here. I hope you enjoy our shows here at United Kingdom Radio. A bit of fundraising now for the station. If you fancy a bit of music in your life, then why not try one of my weekly non-stop music mixes? All music, no talking. You can get a new one each week and download them from www.chrisreardonshow.co.uk. For just 80 pence UK, that's about $1.30 US, they are over 75 minutes long and contain some of the brand new club tunes around at the moment in the UK. Download them now from www.chrisreardonshow.co.uk. My weekly mixes, just 80 pence. www.chrisreardonshow.co.uk. United Kingdom Radio have teamed up with a brand new online internet radio music service called You Love It, We Play It, aimed at the over 25s and featuring some presenters that present right here on United Kingdom Radio. So if you've had enough of all that rabbit, thank you Chaz and Dave, then try our brand new music service at www.youloveitweplayit.com. And we are back at uh, Tom Harris Live here on United Kingdom Radio. Don't forget, <clears throat> following me at 5, excuse me, I have to take a sip of coffee here. Um, I'm having a scone, and that's probably a bad idea. Mm. Oh, sorry about that. Good coffee, good coffee. Um, <laughs> don't forget, following me at 5 p.m. is young James Sanders here on United Kingdom Radio, so stay tuned. 
Um, anyway, uh, so I was uh, reading through uh, the emails here. Um, so moving on, uh, part two of uh, James Bates' email. I'm talk- I was talking about the pigeons uh, last uh, last time. And uh, uh, James is saying, as for the pigeon problems, wouldn't the owners of the building put up pigeon nets and spikes? That is what is done over here. Um, Well, they do and they don't, because basically these buildings where where I live, they have flat roofs. So there really isn't a way to to put up netting and spikes, you know, to, to, to protect the building on up on the up on top of them, which is where the, the pigeons are. They're not it's um not like a um a railway station where you have you know and, and I've seen this in, in England. I've also seen it here as well, like the the L station at, at Davis Street up in Evanston where I t- where I uh, get off my train when I go to work. And the um they have the, the pigeon spikes set up there because the pigeons are a huge nuisance. And what makes it worse is that people actually in the station will feed them. And that that's always a problem. Pigeons are like rats. You feed them, they reproduce. They're, they're, they're a real pest. But it's difficult to do if you have a, a building like, like my building here, where the, the, the top of the building is flat. And so they actually sit up there on, on the roof of the building. Occasionally they come down onto the windowsills, but they don't want to put things on the windowsills of the people's windows because people like to open their windows so they can look out the window, sit, sit by the window, feel the breeze coming in. And so they don't want, you know, obviously they don't want pigeons there either, but I don't see the pigeons as a big problem as far as that goes, I very seldom get them right outside my window. They do like the the top of the building, and I think we have a kind of a small population up there, including the you know, the parent birds of the two babies that that we had hatch on my back stairs last year. So, yeah, I, I think that we have our own little miniature. We you know, it's just like we have people living in the apartments. We have pigeons living on the roof, and it's the same same pigeons every year. Anyway. Um, just another quick note to let you know that you'll probably find the south of France quite nice if you have the chance to get there. Um, yeah, probably, probably would. And France is uh, one of those com- countries. You know, I was talking about Germany last time. Um, this is one of those countries like like uh, Germany that I haven't really explored, and, and France even less so, because basically I've been two places in France or three places in France. I've been to Paris. And I have a lot, quite a lot to say about Paris. Um, I've been to Lille, which is where the uh, the Eurostar station is. You have to change trains there to, um, and it's kind of the Eurostar station's right out in the middle of nowhere. It's it's like in the middle of a bunch of fields, as far as the eye can see. Beautiful train station, you know, but you're just kind of out in the middle of nowhere. And then there's the, um, the little town in the very very south of France, right by the Spanish border called uh, Cerbère. And I was there for a few hours waiting for, again, it was for a, a train change. Uh, I got off the train there and switched to the train that goes to Italy. So that was that's kind of all I've ever seen of France. Other than, yeah, we, we the, the following morning after, yeah, I was going from, um, from, from Spain to, uh, to Italy, kind of in one go. And we, I did get to view some of like Provence and stuff on the train, and the train, the train line that runs along the southern coast of France, beautiful, beautiful scenery, 
And that I, I guess I guess I can kind of say I've seen that. And one of the stops that you make, of course, is in Monaco. So you can kind of over you can look over Monaco and see sort of the you know where all the rich people are below you. But you don't really get out of the. You know, in fact, I don't think I got off the train there. I think it was like a you know twenty minute stop on the train. But you don't get off the train to move around. I mean, you have to stay on the train because the train you know carries you on to uh, carries you on to uh, to Rome, where, which was where where I was heading. But um, I have another message coming in here on Skype. It is uh, James Sanders is asking me if I went to. Disneyland in Paris. No, um, because uh, I don't really care to go to Disneyland in Paris. Um, the The thing is, James, you know, I've been to to Disney World in Florida and to the Animal Kingdom and to MGM and to all the, you know, all the big parks in, um, in Florida. So I don't really have a lot of desire to go to the one in, in Paris, which I've heard is not as big, not as nice. You know, it doesn't have uh, as much stuff. It's great for people who haven't ever been to the other parks or, or whatever. But the last thing I want to do when I'm traveling in Europe is to go see something that's essentially American. I mean, that's kind of not the point, is it? I mean, I want to be in, uh, yeah, I want to experience something of, of the country that I'm in. Um, but you know, I, I guess if, if 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 I were there with somebody else and they wanted to to come there, yeah, maybe I would. Yeah, sure. I, but it's not my first choice. You know, I mean, I'd rather go to uh, you know Legoland or something, really, because that's something that's I think is more stereotypically European, isn't it? But I don't know. Yeah, everyone has a different opinion on that. Um, so anyway, uh, getting back to James's email. Um, I've been to Strasbourg. It's in the south of France, near the German border, and the scenery is quite nice there. I couldn't tell you about Germany, as that is not one of the EU countries I, ha- I haven't been to. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to get there or not. I would like to sometime. Uh, as for the German cities being bombed out in the war, it was a dark time in history that would never be forgotten. From James. Well, thank you very much, James, for uh, for your emails. Um, and, of course, keep them coming. I, I do love to hear from people. Um and the email address, once again, is tom at unitedkingdomradio.co.uk. Or, indeed, you can email me at tom at tomharrisusa.com. And I'll have a new email address to announce next week. <laughs> yeah, another teaser. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to move on. Uh, and we're going to do, hang on a second, Today in History. Yes, Oscar's favorite uh, feature on the show. April 16th in history. Today in history, in 1705, Queen Anne of England gave a knighthood to Sir Isaac Newton. In 1726, the first Easter in America was observed. In 1746, the Battle at Culloden, where the troops of James VIII and III defeated Charles Stuart. In 1789, George Washington headed off to uh, New York for his first presidential inauguration. Yeah, people forget that the first capital of the United States was New York. Um, in 1818, the Senate ratified the rush Bagot Amendment, which established an unarmed U.S.-Canadian border. 1818. In 1917, Vladimir Lenin returned to Russia to start the Bolshevik Revolution. In 1922, marksman Annie Oakley set a record by breaking a 100 clay targets in a row. 
1935, Babe Ruth's first National League game for the Boston Braves included a home run. Yeah, Babe Ruth, I guess he's not as well-known outside the U.S., but one of baseball's all-time greats. Um, 1942, King George VI awarded the George Cross to the island of Malta. Now, how do you give a how do you give a medal to to an island? You like throw it on the ground? I don't I, I don't get it. Nineteen fifty six, the first solar powered radios go on sale. Nineteen fifty six, that's that's amazing. Nineteen sixty two, Walter Cronkite uh, began anchoring the CBS Evening News. Walter Cronkite, and that's the way it is. In 1964, Gel- Geraldine Mock of the United States is the first woman to fly solo around the world. In 1982, Queen Elizabeth proclaimed Canada's new constitution. I remember that. I actually think I watched that on the television. In 1997, the Howard Stern Radio Show premiered in Minneapolis-St. Paul on WRQC 100.3 FM. Moving on, famous birthdays on April 16th include Clement Twelfth, who was born Lorenzo Corsini uh, in Italy. He was the Pope from 1730 to 1740, born on this day in 1652. In 1660, Hans Sloane, the naturalist, was uh, born in England. He was the founder of the British Museum. In 1682, John Hadley, the mathematician and inventor who invented the first reflecting telescope, was born. In 1867... Wilbur Wright was born of the Wright brothers, uh, the first, first people to uh, fly. Uh, well, not the first people to fly, but the first people to fly and survive. <laughs> um, in 1889, Charlie Chaplin was born, um, famous uh, silent film actor. In uh, 1913, Les Tremaine, the actor, was born in London, England. In 1918, another... Uh, English institution Spike Milligan was born in India. In 1919, Merce Cunningham, the choreographer, was born. 1921, Sir Peter Ustinov was born in London. 1922, author Kingsley Amos was born in London. A lot of people in London this time. 1924, Harry Mancini, the composer, composed uh, the Pink Panther theme, was born in my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio. 1927, Joseph Ratzinger, a.k.a. Joe the Rat, a.k.a. Pope Benedict XVI, was born. Happy birthday to the Pope. Uh, was born today in 1927. 1935, Bobby Vinton, the singer, Roses Are Red, um, was born. 1939, Dusty Springfield was born. Mary O'Brien in London. 1940, Queen Margaret II of Denmark was born. Uh, She became Queen of Denmark in 1972 and is still Queen today. 1947, the late Jerry Rafferty was born in Paisley, Scotland. He's had a one-hit wonder over here in the States um, with his uh, song Baker Street. Also 1947, uh, basketball great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was born. Lou Alcindor in... uh, doesn't say where he was born. Huh. Okay. Uh, in 1965, John Cryer, the actor, was born uh, from uh, Two and a Half Men. In 1965, Martin Lawrence, the comedian. And in 1971, Selena Quintanilla uh, was born. Selena uh, was a, um, a Tejano singer. All right. So that was Today in History. All right. So uh, moving on. Um, I have a, this kind of neat um, news item that that uh, Pete, he sent it to me last night, and I was like, I, I should talk about this on the show. 
Now, I think I talked about this last year, about this time last year. Um, well, not you now, because next year is my, or next week is my one-year anniversary here, like I said. But uh, I talked a little bit last year about when Pete and I went to the anime convention, we were wearing these Pokewalkers, these pedometers. And this is something that came with a video game for the DS called, uh, it was Pokemon Platinum in my case. And it, it's, it's actual working pedometer. And you, you know, walk around with this thing on and it gives you, you know, points that you use in the game. And you know, make, you know, it gives you an advantage in the game if you use this thing. But a new study was just published. Uh, an Iowa State University study of pedometers uh, was, and, and this uh, was posted in the, the, I think it's the Iowa Gazette, or the Des Moines Gazette. And uh, the news story is that, oh, sorry about that. Okay. Uh, when it comes to walking in pedometers, it pays to be pokey. Better yet, a pokey walker. That's according to a new Iowa State University study that tested several step counting devices for accuracy. The Pokewalker, a pedometer that translates total steps into experience points in its corresponding Pokemon video game, had substantially reduced step counting error in the study compared to both a standard Digiwalker pedometer and a SenseWare armband as walking speed on a treadmill increased. However, all three devices showed a high degree of error when compared to manual counting at lower speeds. Lorraine Lettingham Foster, an ISU assistant professor of food science and human nutrition, led the study, which measured the step accuracy in each method among 22 children and 8 adults who walked for a timed interval at four speeds on a treadmill. She presented the results this week at the Experimental Biology 2011 conference in Washington, D.C., in comparing all these measures, the Pokewalker did very well, said Lenningham Foster, who researches the measurable health benefits of active video games. It's very accurate and precise. So as a tool that can be used to actually change behavior, and a child can use to truly understand and learn about how much they're walking, it could be a good tool. Iowa State Research Assistants Randall Foster, Megan Barnes, Elsa Cracky, Samantha Kling, and Marin Vick also collaborated on the study. When Lanningham Foster first learned about Pokewalker last spring, she became intrigued in studying its value as a new activity tool for kids, particularly since it was designed to run on the Nintendo DS gaming system. Our study was first to see how well the device worked, she said. As part of the work I do, I'm constantly testing different pedometers and devices just to see how well they work. Because if we want to use something to encourage someone to change their behavior, wouldn't it be good if it worked? Well, that seems kind of self-obvious, isn't it? The thing I like about it, the Pokewalker, is that it's another format, and a lot of kids have a Nintendo DS. So it could just be one more avenue if they have the Wii at home or an Xbox 360. Lenning and Foster said, Oftentimes when I survey people, they have multiple gaming formats, so this could just be another avenue for them to be involved in active gaming. She says on her experimental biology presentation that it's just the first step in the team's ongoing research on the Pokewalker. They're also studying how the game impacted the number of steps each family member walked before and after they were given the game. While they're still compiling those results, Lanningham Foster says, as expected, kids seem to take to the Pokewalker more than adults. Pokemon is a big toy for kids, she continued, and that's why I was so interested in it. It's the idea that we have yet another active gaming format for kids. 
The research is being funded and conducted through ISU's Nutrition and Wellness Research Center. So that I thought that was a really, really cool story. And I'm a little bit surprised because, I mean, you know, I knew that the Poke Walker worked. I mean, I, I actually have, I have one, you know, because I have the game. And for a while, I was using it just to see, you know, just to see how many steps I took a day. And how, you know, because I, I actually do walk a fair amount. I, I have um, sort of a, um, the way I, I don't move around a lot at work. But I quite often will walk home from work, which is about three, uh, 3.2 miles. That's actually going to actually go up a little bit after I move. That's uh, maybe up to three and a half miles. And uh, so that'll be uh, really interesting. And I'm actually kind of tempted to, to take out the Poke Walker. I haven't used it for a while. But anything that can get kids to to exercise, to get game, you know, to get game points or whatever, yeah, that's a good incentive, I would think, for them to actually get up and moving around. And and I think that that was part of the idea of the Wii, you know, uh, when they brought that out. Of course, they have the Wii two coming out uh, pretty soon. But also, yeah, have people actually having to to make gaming a less sedentary. Uh, less sedentary activity. And I, I think anything that you can do in that regard is a good thing. Because, I mean, obviously, we live a very sedentary lifestyle now, especially here in the States. And you, you hear about this, these epidemics of obesity all over the world, and, it's, and a lot of it is because people are just sitting around in front of a television or in front of a computer, and they don't actually go out and move around. And I know, you know, for me, speaking personally for myself, that, you know, that is a big problem for me, that I need to get out and I need to move around. And that's one of the reasons why I took up geocaching, as I've talked about on previous shows, is that it does get you out of the house, does get you to move around. And, you know, it may not be the most strenuous exercise, but it is, you know, a way to kind of get out and get, get doing something social. And, and being outdoors, and I do love the outdoors, and I've talked about you know, my hiking, I love to hike, and of course the geocaching is sort of a perfect fit for that. We actually went out last weekend. Um, uh, we were going to go out Saturday, and I think we, we ended up going out Sunday, and went out to uh, one of the local forest preserves. Now, the, oh, the place we went to, we, we were, I was trying to go to the uh, Cook County Forest Preserve, which uh, is kind of up near the Lake County border. And it's about, uh, about uh, 10, 12 miles from here. Kind of up in the Deerfield area, the, the, the suburb called Deerfield. Um, and we actually went too far. Um, we didn't, I didn't know that the, the county line road also had another name, Lake Cook Road. So I really wasn't, yeah, I didn't go to the right place. But we, where we ended up, and we found a couple of caches there. It was a... Um, a place called the Ryerson Conservation Area. And people think of, you know, Chicago is a big city and, and it does sprawl. But we do have, not very far from the city, a lot of natural areas. And this is an area, now this, this Ryerson uh, Conservation Area is a, is a place that is, um, was a farm back, back many years ago. And I believe it was owned by a family called Ryerson, which is why they call it that. But then you have the old farmhouse there. You have the barns there for whatever. They, they must have been raising cattle because there were, uh, 
you know, the, the big, big barns. They had a, a pig house. Uh, they were raising pigs out there. And, of course, the big corn cribs and things. Um, so they were obviously growing corn and also raising cattle and pigs. And they've preserved this farm. And they've built this, this modern interpretive center. Um, there's, of course, trails that go through the woods. And, and you know, they've, they're actually restoring this property to its original state. I mean, it's, not, it's obviously not a, a working farm anymore. You can still have, you'll see the big area uh, just, just south of the, of the farm building. Actually, I think it's west of the farm building, which is where all the fields were, where they cleared all the fields. And that's where they obviously had their, their crops. And then there are areas that are kind of damp and a little bit marshy off in the woods. And that's where the nature trails kind of wind their way through. It's a beautiful, beautiful little conservation area. But you know, we were out there geocaching, so you know, there aren't very many geocaches out there. We found two of the three. But um, we didn't go after the fourth because we realized then it wasn't a very fruitful area. For, for geocaching and uh, we moved on to uh, an area closer to, to town um, a slightly more urban area where, where we found a lot more of them but um, beautiful beautiful uh, nature preserves that we have here and we have these forest preserves kind of scattered around mostly out in the suburbs now you know because where, where I live there's not a lot of green I mean we have we have trees you know lining the, the streets but it's not really what you would call a, a natural area obviously but we have we, <laughs> we have the nature but it's not this kind of nature that uh, <laughs> that, uh that you want to you actually want to spend time in um whoop. sorry about that uh the, the technical difficulties are overwhelming um yeah so anyway uh that is uh that's kind of what what we did last weekend and and now we have a lot of stuff coming up that 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 Pete and I are, are doing. And a lot of this depends on what goes on with my job. And, you know, I, I know I've been talking about taking this big road trip and, and going down and, and of course I'm v visiting various people, including, you know, family members. And I'd like to stop over in the Kiefer and visit with Stacy. And I, hopefully Stacy will be back soon. I, you know, uh, he's had some computer issues and things that he's kind of working out. And, um, so hopefully we'll get Stacy back here on United Kingdom Radio soon. But I do want to go down to um, uh, to Kiefer because it's sort of it's a, it's a kind of a detour, but it's not too far out of the way from going to see my mom. And I am gonna on this road trip that I've got coming up, going to go see my mom. Now the problem is, of course, that the more time that I'm working, that means that it's pushing my road trip later and later and later in the year. And I don't want to be stuck going to Florida in June or July because that, that's the, the absolute worst time to go there um, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, people, other people have different opinions. I, I do, you know, you kind of have to, uh, you know, to account for taste here. And I am not a person who likes being hot. I, I don't like the, uh, the really roasting, humid, hot weather that they have in Florida. And that's one of the reasons why I, I don't live there anymore. Live there long enough. That's something like 17 years that I lived there. And I will never, ever live there again, as far as like a, a full-time kind of thing. Go visit once in a while, but not, not live there. 
Because I like to have a more temperate climate. I like to have a change of seasons. I, I don't mind the snow. Don't mind any of that. So that is, uh, so like I said, the, the road trip is getting pushed back. And the longer I have my job, the, the kind of the longer that the, the road trip is going to get pushed back. And I could be all optimistic and say, well, they haven't let us go yet. So, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. But I know that it is going to happen. You know, that's just the reality of the, of the way things are set up now. And uh, we have now the, the complete transition done. And I still have a few things that we're wrapping up from, from the old restaurants and the old business. Um, but um, it, it's becoming, it is coming to the end. And I, I, don't, uh, I don't anticipate that I will be employed, you know, a month from now. But uh, anyway, that, that does kind of complicate my moving a little bit. But anyway, we'll, we'll do that. Um, it's going to be interesting, the, the whole moving process with me walking back and forth between here and the new apartment. And hopefully that'll be getting me up, up off my butt, out of the, in front of the computer. Because I spend, I spend way too much time on the computer. And that sort of has led to my sort of Santa Claus type appearance. I'm not as fat as Santa Claus is usually portrayed. But, you know, I've got the, I've got the, the belly and the beard, you know, ho, ho, ho. So anyway. Uh, it is coming sort of to the end of the show. Don't forget, uh, James Sanders will be with you at 5 o'clock here on United Kingdom Radio, and I'm sure he'll have lots of interesting things to say. As for me, I'm going to be moving along. I have stuff to do. I've got packing to do. I've got some errands to run. And so I'm going to leave and go out and enjoy this damp day in Chicago. Anyway, that is it for now. Uh, we'll see you all next week. Don't forget, I have a big announcement next week about my next podcast project. Hopefully there will be uh, something more concrete to tell you about my job next week. And uh, for all, take care of yourselves. That's bye for now. This is Tom Harris in beautiful Chicago, Illinois, signing off.